This is Tiger Hall. Work is broken. This is my second conversation in the trail, exploring why being a working mother is still so shit. I'm now going to be speaking to Sheila Subramanian. Let me tell you a little about Sheila. Sheila grew up in an immigrant family in a primarily white town. She always felt other. And she wanted to work out how to create more inclusive societies. This led her to study race and ethnicity, as well as women's studies. Fast forward a few years in the workforce, Sheila often found herself the only woman in the room, and the only woman of colour in the room. She became a mother in 2016 and began rethinking some of her priorities. One of the big reasons she co-founded Future Forum, a research consortium backed by Slack, was that she noticed so many companies are so vocal about wanting to build an inclusive culture, but few are walking the talk. Sheila is also author of the Wall Street Times best-selling book, How the Future Works, which came out in 2022. She believes work is broken and the pandemic has given us the opportunity to fix it. So let's dive in to hear how. Sheila, I'm asking everyone this as a first question. Why is being a working mother still so shit? Okay, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> what I have realized in the past seven years of being a working mother, um, I have two kids, they are five and seven, uh, is that the office wasn't built for us. The workplace wasn't built for us. The way that we work was not built for us. And us is beyond working mothers. It's essentially people who did not run the system, the, the majority of folks. And what we have found through our research at Future Forum and through my work over the past few years is that the workplace was built for the select few. It was not built for working mothers. And it's reflected in how we work, when we work, where we work. And this has resulted in so many conversations about the system. Because the reality is that it's not us working mothers who are broken. It's the system that is broken. And it's about time that we start to fix it. Okay, brilliant answer. Okay, one thing I'm really trying to understand in this series is the root of this sort of, I mean, it's often referred to as a point of leakage of women in the workforce after they have children. Many people who were very passionate about their careers but end up falling out of work after they have kids. What have you found in your research about this? So, so what we see from research across the board is that work is broken for most of us. Let's just start with the hours of work. There's nine to five work schedules, and then we're dropping our kids off at daycare that starts at 8.30, 9 o'clock, with pickup times around the same time when we're supposed to leave work. And what we're also seeing is that the act of commuting into the office, as well as our productivity being measured as time spent in the office, or the quickest to respond to a message or an email. It's not necessarily compatible with being a caregiver. And so what we're seeing from our research at Future Forum, which is a consortium that's backed by Slack, is that 83% of women prefer location flexibility. They want more choice about where they work as well as when they work. And there's a lot of sentiment in the marketplace right now that people just don't want to work anymore or people are lacking hustle. That's not the case for, for working mothers. We want to work. We also want more choice in how we work. And we also believe that the system should be built 
so that we have more choice. And what we've seen over the last three years um, during the pandemic is there have been bright spots in terms of flexibility about how we work. And now we're at a critical, critical moment where leaders need to realize that building workplaces where employees have more choice are not just more inclusive, they're also better for your business. And they need to lean into that change rather than try to return back to 2019 and how things used to be. Mm. So you say that a high proportion of women want this flexibility in their work schedules. What percentage was it for men? So, you know, we did see an all-time high for working fathers as well. Mm. Was it as high as 82%? No. But the, the positive news, I would say, is that we've seen that the percentage of men who also prefer flexibility in where they work at a high. And that trend helps us eliminate things like the mommy track, where people feel like they're necessary, they're getting penalized for deciding to take a more flexible uh, route in their careers. And so I think that there's a lot of conversations we need to have in terms of flexibility, in terms of parental leave. These are all steps in eliminating working mothers from leaving the the workforce because they don't necessarily feel like it's compatible to be a caregiver and to be a professional at the same time. Yeah. I'm curious to know what sort of pushback you receive when you talk about this. I mean, that, that's a high proportion of women and it sounds also like quite a lot of working men want more flexibility. It's not just as simple as, okay, let's give everyone more flexibility. Like, well, what's the what's the challenge? Yes. I think that there is an interesting tension in the marketplace right now between executives who want to return back to how things used to be. I've heard a lot of phrases of, it's time to get back to work. Well, what have we been doing for the last three years? We've all been working. We've been working more on our terms. We've been working. Um, so there's this tension of, well, this is how I rose up in my career. I sacrificed time with my family and friends. I sacrificed my health. I sacrificed my life outside of work in order to get successful. You should do it too. And there's the other camp that says, no, I refuse. I refuse to continue to try to play this game in order to succeed. I want to pave my own path. And what we're also seeing in this tension is that there's a um, historically low unemployment rates in the U.S. There's also a labor shortage. And so there is a battle for talent. And if leaders do not lean into this change, if they don't necessarily listen to their employees, they're going to lose that talent for a competitor. So in order to stay resilient, in order to stay relevant, it's super critical for leaders to listen to what their employees want and redesign work to, you know, fit all types of employees, rather than return back to a model that only worked for the select few that historically looked just like them. But so very few leaders are doing this leaning in? You know, I think it definitely depends on industry and size of company. But what we do see from the data is that two thirds of executives are operating as a focus group of one. They're not necessarily talking to their teams. They're not necessarily talking to a diverse set of employees to ask what they want. They're working with their executive executive teams and they're designing their future of work policies. And what we usually advise is that leaders talk to people across functions, across um, backgrounds, locations to better understand what the future of work within their organization is going to look like rather than saying, this is what worked for me. 
So this is what we're going to do. Mm. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. And, and, and we're seeing resistance to that sentiment. Yeah. Well, so as so many of these conversations are going on, and, and as there's such a focus these days on DEI and, and gender equality being such a prominent topic within this, and we know that there's a problem here, why are the solutions being offered not more effective? So many people care so deeply about this. Why are the conversations not yielding real results? There are there are a few reasons for that. I think the first is that what we're seeing is that the corporate world continues to be a monoculture. It is very much still people who are elevating others who have similar backgrounds or who operate like them. And that monoculture is not necessarily getting better, even though there have been a lot of solutions in place for decades. What we're seeing is that point of leakage where oftentimes many women leave the workforce because they look around and they realize that there are very few people that look like them. There are very few people who are like them, who have thrived and, and elevated. And they also realize that oftentimes this game is not meant for them and it's not worth it. Mm. And, you know, I have to speak my own experience. In, in 2018, I had a similar moment where I looked around and I was like, wow, I just had my second child. And I don't see a lot of people who look like me. And I don't necessarily see a life that I want to live if I continue to climb this ladder. And I spoke to a wise mentor who basically said, success is living your life on your terms and you need to stay in the workforce to show that it can be done, but you need to play your own game. And those words really led me to being a founder of Future Forum and being a voice to these conversations. Because unless we start pointing out what's broken and redesigning the system, these band-aid approaches that we've had in the past, they're just not going to work. We need to redesign how we promote people, what sort of feedback we give them, um, what productivity looks like, because all of those measures are so outdated and they have hampered the careers of so many people who are not in the majority. And it's time that we call them out and, and we start talking about how we can actually fix them from the ground up. Mm. Okay, can we talk more about this redesigning the system in a really sort of actionable way? What needs to be done? So, I think it's really important for us to think about redesigning work, not to meet the needs of the select few, not to meet the needs of the executives, but to actually meet the needs of the most vulnerable populations, as Rashma Saljani puts it, within the workforce. And in many cases, that's the working mother. We have been so burnt out over the last few years being told that we're not enough, while also homeschooling while also caregiving during a pandemic, while being around so much uncertainty around us. It's just been the start and stop over the last three years. And, and frankly, we're exhausted. So the number one thing I think that leaders really need to think about and redesign around is not just where you work, but when you work. What we see from our data at Future Forum is that, yes, the majority of people, 80%, want flexibility and where they work, but a whopping 94% want flexibility in when they work. They want schedule flexibility. Now, let me tell you about schedule flexibility for a second, because I oftentimes get the deer in headlights look of, well, how am I going to wake that, make that work within my organization? Schedule flexibility is giving people more of a framework saying, we're going to work synchronously between the hours of, let's just say, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., where we're going to come together for one-on-ones, team meetings, and other development conversations. But outside of those core work hours, you can work when works best for you. 
And that flexibility is so important when it comes to other responsibilities. Yes, especially around caregiving, but also taking care of yourself. I never exercised before, before the pandemic hit because I just didn't have time to between commuting and working and mothering. And I think it's really important for leaders to realize that flexibility helps people become more productive and it helps them be more engaged and take better care of themselves. So that's, that's one area that I think is really important. The second that's related is around burnout. What we've seen from our latest wave of research is that 43% of desk workers globally report feeling burnt out. And the numbers are highest among women and employees under the age of 30. Mental health was not something that we talked about in corporate workspaces like prior to the pandemic. At least that was not my experience. And now it's critical for leaders to really think about burnout and ways in which they can engage their employees and talk about mental health to make sure that they're okay. Yeah, this is becoming quite an issue now. Like Burnout is an inclusion issue. It is. It is. Mm. Um, and it's impacting, it's impacting the populations that the workplace was not designed for. And it's time that we recognize that. And, and I think last but not least, it's really critical for us to talk about the role of managers in redesigning work because most managers have been trained to be gatekeepers. They've been trained to be the ones who are saying, okay, this person came in at nine o'clock. They're leaving at five or this person's working 16 hours a day. They're a hard worker. We should promote them. And now is an opportunity for us to say, all right, managers need to shift from being gatekeepers to coaches, to empathetic forces within an organization who are nurturing their team members, asking if they're okay, but also helping them measure what good looks like. Because for too long through all of this, burnout, flexibility, managing, productivity has been measured as this person's the first and the last to leave. They must be doing a great job. And there's a huge opportunity for us to really measure productivity on the impact, the value that someone's delivering, rather than hours work or speed to response. That's what's burning people out. And that's ultimately what's also churning so many people out of the workforce today. Hey, sorry to so rudely interrupt my own conversation, but I just wanted to let you know that this is a Tiger Hall podcast. Tiger Hall is the world's leading social learning platform, and we have hundreds of interviews just like this with amazing senior business leaders from around the world. These can all be accessed via the Tiger Hall app, which is free to download. You get free content every month and new stuff is uploaded every workday. I hope to see you there. Just going back to what you were saying about flexibility about when you work, I'm sort of, I'm hearing voices in my head of a lot of the the people that we deal with and senior leaders that we deal with. Surely that depends to an extent. I mean, whether that's feasible or not depends to an extent on the kind of job you have. If you have a very client facing role, you need to work when your clients are online, right? There's also a conversation you could have with your clients in terms of, Mm. uh, hey, I pick my kids up from school at 3.30. I will be offline between 3.30 and 4.30. I think what I've seen from my work with executives is even having those conversations, setting those norms with the clients you're working with, with the teams that you're working with actually goes a long way because you're basically making expectations clear from the beginning rather than disappointing people or not delivering on expectations of being online all of the time. You know, I think with all of this stuff, so much of the conversation has been around personal boundaries. What are the boundaries you're setting for yourself? 
but that's putting a lot of pressure on the individual. What leaders really need to think about are what are the behavioral guardrails that they're setting for their organization and also modeling from the top. And another area that I think is important when it comes to schedule flexibility is the role of the meeting. Mm. More often than not, I get the question of, well, I have so many meetings. I'm so important. (laughs) I play Tetris with my calendar. (laughs) Like, how would I have schedule flexibility because of all these meetings? Well, think about the role of meetings in your culture and in your organization. And also think about whether you actually need all of those meetings. And we use a rubric called the 4D model. It's if it means to discuss, debate, decide, or develop your employee, keep the meeting. Make sure that you have an agenda. Make sure that it's clear what you're looking to achieve, but you can keep the meeting. But it's for a status check or around the horn. Bring that into your digital tools. Like you can do that asynchronously. You don't need to collect everyone for an hour to give a status check on what everyone's doing that week. So there's a lot of opportunities to think about synchronous work, but also asynchronous work when people can do work on their terms and probably deliver higher quality outputs uh, in the meantime. All sounds so brilliant when you say it. All sounds easier than I'm sure it is as well. It sounds simple <laughs> when you say it. So, Sheely, you wrote this brilliant article in Wired, which I recommend everyone go and read, called The Workforce is Failing Women, Business Leaders Can Stop It. And one thing that really struck me was you mentioned research about performance reviews, that men are more likely to receive feedback based on the outcomes they deliver, the actual work, whereas women's evaluations are more likely to be rooted in personality traits. Which, I mean, this research is, is kind of crazy. Could you tell us a bit more about it? Yes. So I discovered this research from the Clayman Institute at Stanford a few years ago, and the results were telling. So what the research showed was that women were described as supportive, collaborative, and helpful nearly twice as often as men. Hmm. And women's reviews had more than twice the references to team accomplishments rather than individual achievements. That's so strong. So the reviews were focused on the work of the team rather than what they personally had done. What we also saw from the research is that men received three times as much feedback linked to a specific business outcome. And, you know, what we are seeing here is a destructive cycle. When women ask for promotions or pay raises, they oftentimes receive backlash or punishment. And so I think it's really important for leaders to recognize that we all hold unconscious biases and judgments without realizing that we're doing it. And whether this is providing real-time feedback or writing a review, it's really important for leaders to ask themselves whether they're focused on the skills, the outcomes, rather than outdated norms of professionalism these norms of how you think people should work rather than the value that they're actually driving for your team. So a couple of things that I think are important for leaders to focus on. One is celebrating individual achievements by focusing on the business impact. Also focusing on outcomes when thinking about productivity, when thinking about feedback. And also think about the words that you're actually using when you're looking to promote someone. If you're saying someone is a hard worker, why is that? Is it because they're the first to respond to your message or to your email? Or is it because they're thoughtful and focused on the right outcomes when actually responding to you? (laughs) Uh, So I think this is this is requiring a shift for many leaders when it comes to defining what a good employee looks like. But being cognizant of these changes, I think, will create more inclusion and equity in the workplace. Mm. And so how how is this relevant for 
working moms? So it comes back to flexibility in many forms. When it comes to being the first and the last to leave as a measure of productivity, there's an opportunity for leaders to say, okay, is that really the hallmark of what I want to build on my team? Instead, is it someone who is focused on the appropriate outcomes? It's someone who is willing to be transparent about how they're living their lives, but also is willing to be part of the team. Is it someone who is uh, really prioritizing the right things rather than trying to do all of the things to show their worth? There are a lot of different behaviors that a leader can model at the top, but also celebrate and reward when it comes to performance feedback and uh, when it comes to promotions. And I think that being more cognizant of the type of feedback, as well as the hallmark of a good employee, will help in the conversation of changing and fixing the system to benefit working mothers. Okay, Sheila, perhaps to wrap up, can you give us some steps? So a lot of the people listening to this will be either in HR, they'll be working mums, or like me, people who would maybe one day like to become a mother, but they're alarmed at reading about the motherhood penalty and all these things we've been discussing. What do you want listeners to either do or think about after listening to this? Yes, there are three things that I recommend leaders really invest in. The first is embrace flexibility. It's time to abandon the flexibility stigma. I think it's important for leaders to realize that one size fits all mandates within an organization are not effective and employees are resisting that approach. Instead, work with team leaders to figure out what works best for their specific teams and ensure that everybody on that team has a voice. One thing that I write a lot about in my book, How the Future Works, is something called a team level agreement, which is an opportunity for team leaders to bring their team together, talk about how they want to work, how often they want to get together in person, and also what their core team work hours look like. And give people an opportunity to build those norms together. If we do not give working mothers a voice in designing the system, the system will fail for them. And flexibility is the first step. The second thing I think is important for leaders to recognize is that oftentimes their boardroom table is a monoculture. And they're not necessarily getting a diverse set of voices and perspectives in the room. It's the job of the CEO, not anybody else, the CEO to look around the table, ask who's not there and fix it. And now's an opportunity for leaders to be aware of the team that they've built and ensure that they have voices of working mothers in that room. Because unless we set the tone from the top on a leadership level of what work can be, it's not going to necessarily help working mothers who are growing in their careers look around and say, okay, I can do this as well. I'll give you an example. When the pandemic hit, my daughters were two and four. And we were all scrambling to figure out how to do our jobs and caregive at the same time. And what I used to do is in my Slack status message, I would say, chasing unicorns with my daughters or looking for butterflies offline between 1 and 5 p.m. today. And I got countless messages from other women in the, in the workplace saying, thank you for doing that because you're normalizing that spending time with your kids is actually okay. So it's really critical for CEOs to look around and say, okay, let's make sure that we have representation at the table. And let's also make sure that we're setting the right behavioral tones from the top. 
And last but not least, I think it's really important as we talk about burnout, as we talk about mental health, to have transparency with your teams and for leaders to embrace what transparency looks like. This is a new skill, but what we're increasingly seeing from our data at Future Forum is that employees want to hear, I don't know, or I need your help, or we're still figuring it out from their leaders. And I know this is an adjustment because many of us have been trained to have all the answers all the time. But what's really important is if you're leading with transparency and you're getting feedback from your teams, you're hearing a diversity of voices from across your company and you can redesign work to be more inclusive for full, for working moms. So showing your own vulnerability and asking others for feedback is one step in getting there. And you know, one thing I'm really conscious of, I think I'm using the term working mum so much, like we both are. And actually I was chatting to my boss the other day and she said, oh my God, I hate the term working mum because you would never say working dad. It's kind of like girl boss, lady boss, the, the things that make you cringe. I think as I go through the series, I'm going to become increasingly conscious of using this term working mum again and again. It's very, it's very true. I mean, I think I think um, in terms of being a working mom, though, I remember reading Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, and, and what she writes about is raising adults, not children. And in my opinion, that's what parenting is all about. It's not about taking breaks to, you know, have a quick meal with your kids. It's not spending time with your family to make yourself feel better. It's not parenting through guilt. The responsibility of a parent and for this next generation is to raise kids who are responsible and kind and generous citizens. And so kids want to know that their parents have their backs. And I think it's really important for us to create environments where employees can be trustworthy and reliable, not just to their employer, but to their families as well. And until we get there, I want to continue to fight for a system that helps us become balanced people who are there for for our families, for our communities, yes, and as well as for our jobs. Amazing. Sheila, I think I could listen to you all day. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. If there was any doubt in your mind that the way we work needs a major rethink, I think Sheila may have just convinced you. At one point in our conversation, Sheila mentioned Reshma Saujani, founder of Mums First. It just so happens I had her book on my desk during my conversation with Sheila. I'm going to close this conversation with a quote from her. I finally came to see the painful truth, or more accurately, the big lie. The big lie comes down to one startling fact. It makes no difference how much we lean into our careers or fight for gender parity in the workplace. Because we participate in a workforce and live in a society that do not make having it all actually possible. What do you think? I would love to hear your thoughts. Let me know in the comments on Tiger Hall for this episode. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. For the next conversation in this trail, we're going to be diving into the power of good policy with Lindsay Blakey. I really hope you'll join us. You've been listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. Quick favor. If you like this content, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new upload from us. And of course, if you're hungry for more, and why wouldn't you be, don't forget to download the Tiger Hall app for hundreds more just like this.